episode one of the Surf Coast Trees podcast, season three. Jess, welcome Jess Mellington, co-host. Thanks Ben, good to be here. Season three already, can you believe it? I'm excited. We're up to episode number 26. 26, wow. Got a really exciting guest today, our first surfboard shaper. So I know there's a lot of guys out there that have been itching to get a shaper on the podcast. So we've got a young shaper and probably a good time to introduce our guest for today, Luca. Welcome, Luca, from Babel Surfboards. Is that right, Babel? Babel, that's right. Yep. Babel. And just to start off, do you want to give us a little bit of the meaning behind the name, Babel? It's got a sort of biblical reference. Yeah, it does. It's actually uh, quite of a random story, really. So I was in the car. That's actually even before I shaped the first board. Um, yeah, I was chatting with my girlfriend about the Tower of Babel, oh, and yeah. the discussion was if it was a real tower or just a biblical tower. Uh, turns out it's both, so there's actually an historical Tower of Babel and the biblical one. Yep. And uh, yeah, so at pretty much the same time I started to think about a surfboard brand and uh, Babel sounded really nice and the meaning behind it, you know, the Tower of Babel was a place where all the languages in the world were spoken. All came together. Yeah. All came together. After so, the Great Flood, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> But I really like the image of like, you know, an inclusive image of. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So People coming together, sort of unified language. Yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah, in a way, kind of, sounded pretty right. And uh, so yeah, just went with that. Yeah, cool. Sticked. We'll get more into your story later in the podcast, but we're kicking off season three with a little segment called Breaking the Ice. So. Jess is going to fire off seven questions. You can elaborate on those questions. Yep. And. As well, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so, for having me. It's a Surf Coast Creatives podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, we discuss business mindset, creativity, passion, and lots of other topics. So, yeah, if you're tuning in, let us know what you think on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite pod platform today. But Jess, I'll hand it over to you. Awesome. Thanks, for this Ben. first segment, Breaking the Ice. Thank you. All right. Luca, uh, where were you born? Um, I was born in a small town. I mean, I was born in Brescia, which is a... Um, big town next to Milan in the north of Italy and I grew up uh, in a small town of 5,000 people um, close to the lakes uh, near Lake Como and Lake Gardo so just at the feet of the mountains. No surf? No, not much surf there. (laughs) A couple of ripples in the lake? Yeah, oh there's a river if you want. Yeah. uh, You know, like similar to the Munich one but yeah it's not. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not real surfing for sure. Half a foot top on a good day? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And you grew up there? Yeah, um, I grew up there and um, I spent pretty much my whole childhood childhood, and um, I moved uh, to Padova, which is a town near Venice, uh, when I was 19 to yeah. study so yeah. for, uni- for my university. Yeah, and I lived there for seven years and then I moved to Australia uh, when I was 26. 26. How old are you now? 33. 33. So pretty much adopted, Aussie? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Got a full-time visa and all the rest? Or? Um, getting there. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I kind of went through a student visa first and a working visa. And then yeah. I'm getting towards my residence. Came to chat about your studies a little bit later as well. Yeah. So I'll let you go on with question three, Jeff. Um, are you a full-time or part-time creative? Um, at the moment, I'm full-time, over time, actually. So. Overtime. I'm working eight days a week, yeah. <laughs> you should add that, part-time, yeah. full-time or overtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice one. And are you into camping or glamping? Uh, I had to ask my girlfriend what glamping was. 
So yeah. <laughs> I guess, so I guess yeah, I guess it's camping. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, number five, what's your favorite TV series? Um, I think I just finished uh, uh, Parks and Recreations. Oh, yeah. And That's it's so funny. So good, yeah. yeah. I've never heard of that. That's Parks and Recreations. It's a comedy. Oh, it's too good. Yeah. What's, on, what's that on? Uh, it's this um, office in, is that in Indiana, in America? Yeah. And there's pretty much is this office with, you know, they're looking after the parks of, it's the parks department of this town. Yeah. yeah and it's all setting around that, yeah. uh, around that environment. And it's, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Is it on Netflix? Or? Uh, Stan, I think. Stan. Yeah. Might have to look that one up, Jess. It's really funny. I've seen that one. Um, number six, were you busy during COVID or were you flat? Uh, it's been a bit of an up and down, yep. so I got really busy as soon as COVID started and then it quite really got quiet as soon as Melbourne got locked up and then it's getting busy again now, so, but yeah, I can't complain overall, it's been really good, yeah. Uh, number seven, what's your favourite quote? Um, I think for making surfboards, I think it uh, goes low to go fast, I think. Go slow to go fast. Yeah, you just do things once and you do them right. That's the best way of going yeah. through them. That's um, a good one. Yeah. That is good. I'm reading a book at the moment actually called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Yeah. By Daniel Kahneman, an Israeli guy. Yeah. Quite an interesting book. So. I know, I heard of it. Probably goes into. You want It's one of the New York Times bestsellers. And yeah, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. It's about the psychology of all our human biases and all the rest. But it goes through the. Psychology of yeah something that requires a lot of gut and intuition versus something that requires a lot of thought. So it's probably a little yeah. bit of a play on that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that's the first part done. So Ben, I'll hand it over to you. You can take a look through the next bit. Yeah. Thanks for participating in our <laughs> breaking the ice segment. So we actually yeah got to know a little bit more about you there. So if you can go back to Italy, and you grew up inland in Italy, so no surf. How did you go about getting a passion for surfing and surfboard shaping? I imagine it didn't happen overnight, but was there something that happened along the way that got you inspired? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I've always been into um, board sports, you know, been skateboarding and snowboarding. Um, but yeah, the, the whole thing of surfing, somehow it really always struck me. As a, yeah, I, it's really hard to explain why I, I did have a DVD when I was a kid, maybe 13 or 14. It was a um, yeah, DVD of the Pipe Master, I remember, probably yeah, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and that, that was the only surf video I had access to. Really? Yeah, so, but I still remember getting so hooked just looking at that video. Yeah. And somehow... Um, this is the Pipe Masters in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. which... Um, yeah, and it's kind of hard to explain why. I think it's more than, more than the surfing itself. Itself was the whole freedom that I kind of associated with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been always really attracted to that. Um, yeah. And then I like the first actual wave I've seen breaking was in Brazil when I was in my early twenties. So it was a trip. I did a trip to São Paulo for uh, my studies. And then I took time off and I ended up in Santa Catarina, which is in the south, then yep. Florianopolis, that, yeah, that's where I set my first waves, that real waves. Yeah, right. So, um, so early 20s, you saw your first breaking wave. Yeah, pretty now much, you're yeah. you a surfboard shaper. That's crazy. Yeah. 
But I guess yeah, we take it for granted, living in Australia especially, seeing waves and growing up with waves and yeah, to not see your first breaking wave, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, well I did, I did surf in Italy a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it, they're not really, you know, they're not grounds, like the Mediterranean is pretty small, so yeah. it can get really good. Um, Where do you surf in the Mediterranean? Sardinia is really good, probably is the oh, best. Right. That's in the south? It's, in a, it's an island, it's pretty much same latitude of Rome, so like in the middle. Right. It's an island off the coast, like yep. it's pretty big, and yep. all the west coast is really exposed to like the biggest part of the Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah, the only problem with surfing in Italy is, um, you know, the windswell are pretty short-lived. Yeah. So they're not massive uh, storms, so you have to be on the spot. So the waves, sometimes they break for, I don't know, All right. 10 hours or whatever, and then they disappear, you know, so you have to Gone really be s- on the road. It's, it's like six so months break in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit tricky, but it can, can get really good. And you get some good surfers out there? Um, yeah, well, there's a few pro surfers on the tour as well. Uh, I think they all spend time overseas, yeah. so they just didn't surf in Italy. So, uh, But yeah, they definitely started there. Um, I think there's a, um, the surf culture in Italy is definitely growing yeah. stronger. Um, yeah, I've, yeah, I know lots of shapers actually. That's, I mean, not, not personally, but I've seen lots of shapers studying. In Italy? In Italy, yeah. yeah cool. so, so you saw that first breaking wave in Brazil. I imagine you kept traveling for a bit and you started surfing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the passion sort of started to grow. And then more travel and then eventually to Australia or was it back home and then back to Australia? Um, yeah, it was back home. I finished my studies and then, uh, yes, yeah, as soon as I graduated, I left for Australia. Yeah. What right. did you study? Um, I studied physics and astronomy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I yeah, did my bachelor's and master's in Italy. And I came to Australia to do my PhD, so oh. I got that in 2017. Oh, you did your PhD in Australia? In Melbourne, yeah. Yep. Wow. At Melbourne Uni or? Uh, Swinburne. Swinburne. So astrophysics, not a huge interest in the subject, or you just apply it to a different area of your life now? Um, I mean, the content, you know, the, the actual subject itself is pretty specific. Mm. So it's really like, I've, I've had this question many times asking like, are you using any of your knowledge mm. to shape boards? I don't think that's really the case, you know? Maybe you can kind of understand how the world flows a little bit better, you know? But, you know, it's, I think a surfboard, it, like in, the, in the, those terms, it is a really simple object, you know? It's just a thing that floats on the, yeah. on the world, you know? So it's not... It's not but the outer space flowing through. Yeah, so, but then when you actually look at all the design elements and how, how they combine together, yeah, it's really, really hard to quantify, you know, that you just really have to go through a hard way of making a board and then working on the next board. And, and yeah. then there is the extra complication, which is how the board feels, which is pretty much impossible to quantify. Yeah. And it's different for different people. So, yeah, so, yeah, maybe I think the way I really benefit from my studies is to try to think as analytically as possible to surfboards, you know. So I keep track of, I, I'm, I try to be really number oriented when I design a board, you know, so I keep track of all the measurements, everything, you know, so, yeah, um, and I kind of progress board by board from there. Um, oh, so you do actually keep track of some calculations and... Not so really calculations, it's more <laughs> measurements of, you know, like rocker lines, yeah. all um, thickness, foils, pin placement, all of that. And mix that with a bit of trial and error. 
yeah, yeah. actually getting out there and surf and yeah you have to surf them yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no do you, there's no formula yeah do you judge your feedback ahead of other surface feedback or just because you might have a better feel for um, exactly what you're looking for or you take into account other surface feedback as uh, well it's a bit of both yeah so I normally I try to share boards that I would write myself mm-hmm. so I can really relate to so I'm not a, I mean, I can surf, but I'm not, I won't blow anybody's mind if they see me surfing. So I try to make boards that facilitate my surfing. Yeah. Um, which are boards that I think anybody really can surf. Um, so it happened that also, you know, I shape boards for really, really good surfers. And in that case, you really rely on that feedback. Yeah. So you make boards that maybe I won't be that uh, aware of when I'm riding it. So yeah, I really understand the board, you know, like in terms of measurements. Yeah. Or in terms of design, mm-hmm. but when it comes to feedback, I, yeah, especially if the surface is really, really good, I really need to rely on them. Yeah. Who is the biggest? You got any big name surfers that you've shaped for? No, not really. No, probably just, just. No, yeah, just local crew. Yeah, a couple of the bigger local guys. Yeah, it's mostly friends and friends of friends, and yeah. you know, but yeah, n- never at the very pro level, but you know, like good, good surfers like yeah. for. It's actually how we heard about you. We, we interviewed Brittany March in season two. She's a very talented il- illustrator here on the surf coast. Yeah. So, are you mates with her partner? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thor is one of them. So yeah, he's a really good surfer. surfer. Yeah, so he's the one Brazilian of Brazilian guy. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's actually from the same, funny enough, he's from the same place where I surfed my first wave. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. I know, right. <laughs> So there was something about that wave that day. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, he's an example. Like he really gives me good feedback. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, been working together on some boards and yeah. So you said you design boards for people, for anyone basically to surf. So that's your target market, in terms of you know your beginner, intermediate surfers. Yeah, and advanced as well. You know, I just, I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint a market because there's such a big variety of surfers out there, you know, with surf, surfing getting so popular. Yeah. You know, you, you get a very wide spectrum of people coming in um, and chatting you about what they want out of the surfing experience. Mm. So I think in a way you have to be really open-minded and kind of, you know, really fine-tune your boards for... So it's not just the guy that wants to shred, you know, so yeah. it's... Um, yeah, so I think it's be more open to interpretation for... Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's guys that want a 8-foot gun to get a 15-foot wave that comes along every now and then, like a big swell, like today. It's not 15-foot today, but it's pretty big. Yeah. But guys, you know, that aspire to ride a wave like that, and there's other guys that just want to shred on a clean 3-foot yeah. day on a reef. Yeah. And, yeah, you've got those beginners as well that sort of start off in the white water and smaller waves, 2-foot. Yeah, and also, I think also, like, good surfers that... You know, have evolved that as much that they want to experience something different, a different feedback from the board. You know, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I think I don't know. I've I've done this for maybe six years, but in this time, I've seen like um, I think it's a bit of a golden age for shapers. Like such a big variety of boards out there at the moment. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's yeah, it's just no shortage of. You, get, you can basically have anything you want, can't you? Yeah, yeah. If you tell a shaper exactly what you want, then they'll put it together, typically. Yeah, I think it's a bit, there is a bit of a process in that. Like for me, shaping a board for somebody that I've, you know, I don't really know or I've never really seen surfing 
Um, it all starts from a conversation. You know, sometimes I ask them to bring in the boards or they've been writing or take pictures of the boards they've been writing or like somehow like you know you have to start from somewhere. Yeah. And you build on that. Like so, for me, shaping is a um, it's a progressive process. Yeah. You know, so I think the best board I've shaped for somebody are after like a few iterations. So you know you get to know them, you get to shape the first board, and then if they come back because the first board was good, the second board is even better. Yeah. And then you know so you get really customize the board um, in that way. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's an intricate process. Actually, I'd be probably a good example. So I learned to surf age 36. I had a couple of surfs up to age 36, but nothing serious. Uh, now I've got a surfing addiction, which I'm afflicted with, and. I've been surfing a 6.9 fish, so super fish, uh, twin fin, so um, what would be my next step? So I actually want to go to something like a 6.6 uh, with a little less volume, something yep. I can get in and under the waves a little bit, a little better. Yep. It's got a little bit too, too much volume at the moment. What would be uh, like a yeah, recommendation for someone in that situation? Well, it all depends on... Um well, which way do you normally surf? That's a big part of it. Um, because you said you surf fossils this morning. Fossils this morning, so typically 13th. Okay. Most of the time. There's a vacuum planner right on cue, so <laughs> <laughs> do apologise for the vacuum. Yeah, so I think, it, yeah, it depends a bit of the wave you kind of focus on as well. So, like, wave, say, like, pointing possible is a pretty soft wave. Yeah. So, having that extra kind of form really helps in getting the wave count up so you don't want to go. Too thin in a way, you know. Yeah. And the um, third end. Yeah, 13th like? is a bit like it's a beach break, so it kind of varies a bit more. You know, there's a bit more variety. That, um, so yeah, especially you know on bigger days you do lots of duck diving at 13th. So yeah. Um, yeah. So you should probably get two boards. Two boards. <laughs> <laughs> or three. Two for one. Or ten. Yeah. <laughs> Get a whole quiver. Exactly, yeah. We'll have to chat after this podcast because I do actually want to get a new one for Christmas. So I just love the look and the style of your boards. Is that a big part of your brand? Like you've been on the surf coast how long now? Seven years. Seven years. So actually we'll go back to have you had a part-time job or full-time job somewhere in there? Or have you just been shaping boards from day one? No, from... uh, Since you finished your studies. Since I finished, so I actually started shaping boards while I was studying. Yeah. So it was mostly for me and some friends, really. You know, so it was not. I wasn't not really thinking about it as a job. It was more like, yeah, like a backyard gig. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Um, and. Um, There's another order coming through. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. And um, yeah, so after I finished my studies. Um, I did work at uni for two years, so I was just being a researcher at university, and there was a part-time job, so I was doing that part-time. Um, and part-time, I started taking the whole shaping big a bit, a bit more, a bit more seriously. And yep. uh, yeah, eventually, um, yeah, I got a really good opportunity with uh, so my brother-in-law, as I was saying before, um, works in van life. So they do van conversions, and they were at the stage where they kind of wanted to get out of the backyard and get a factory. And I was pretty much finding myself in the same position. And yeah, the factory in Baines Crescent came up for rent. And yeah, uh, yeah we decided to go in 
and split the costs and like so we're sharing the space which has been really good so far in Bain's Crescent in Bain's yeah. Crescent yeah um, yeah so it, it's still a small factory you know so but that kind of was the first step to get out of of the backyard yeah and um, out of the garage or literally in the backyard yeah I had this shed in the backyard yeah I was working from there um, which like I think that's how 99% of the shapers start from yeah. it just that's yeah. how it is did you have ambitions to start your own shop at the start or was it just sort of a bit of a fun thing to do? Keep the mind active, start shaping, see what you come up with. Yeah, I think, yeah, once again, the whole thing evolved sort of naturally. I never really wanted to do that, but I kind of got to a point where, you know, I saw some potential in, in the, in, yeah, in doing this and that combined with the, you know, kind of the career choice for university. So I kind of find myself that I really, if I want to go, wanted to go ahead with the academic life, I would have to take really big commitment commitments, as in like travel around the world. So normally in academia, at least in my field, once you have graduated from your PhD, you start a series of contracts that normally last three or four years. Yeah. And you get like two or three of them. So before you get uh, a full-time position normally like you're 40 that means like in all your theories you kind of travel around the world for all right. so just doing research at yeah exactly so in, exactly yeah so it's yeah it's called postdoc yep uh research and um so you're saying you don't get really set until you're 40. well yeah research. unless you're really 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 good but yep. yeah normally the average age from professorship is you know assistant professor is um sorry associate professor is roughly late 30s early 40s all right and I don't know, I found myself, like, okay, it has been hard enough to leave Italy, you know, I could leave my head, my whole family is still there. Yep. So, and it took quite a while to kind of find a place that I could, you know, call home. And in a way, like, the idea of, like, leaving this again and just to pursue in the academic career, you know, you kind of weighed it up. And I don't know, I don't think I'm cut, I'm not really cut for it. Yep. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I had in my hands this shaping thing and I was like, oh, what, what can go wrong? Like, you know, worst case I fail, you know, whatever. Um, I didn't have much to lose at the time, so I just decided to go all in. And Actually, yeah, we spoke about that yesterday on the welcome episode, that decision-making, we, we talk about it with a lot of guests as well, making that transition from like a full-time job or in your case, studying and working out whether or not to travel around the world to various universities doing your, what work did you call it? Like in the uh, 30s, it's like post. It's called, yeah, postdoc research. Postdoc research, sorry. Yeah, what was the thinking there? So it just felt like a really natural fit and something you were passionate about. That's why you did it. The shaping or the... Yeah, the shaping. Um, That's why you decided to go down that path. Like, was there pressure from family and friends to stick well, with the PhD? I kind, of, I kind of looked at my priorities. Yeah. And what I, like the first one was where I wanted to be, I guess. Yeah. What I wanted, wanted to do. Um, and at the time, I mean, Turkey, I've seen it. I haven't been here for that long, but I've definitely seen a massive change. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, even in the last seven years? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And um, yeah, so I think that like, the priority was to be in Turkey, I guess. Like, I just wanted to, to be here. And yeah, so I just thought, what, what can I do? While I'm here, you know, I think right now there's way more job opportunities if you know to work in Turkey. Yeah. Whereas or even in Geelong, you know, there's like if I wanted to find a job in Geelong, probably it would be so much easier now. Yeah. 
Whereas back then, it was pretty much the choice was between Turkey and Melbourne. Yeah. At least for my field. Um, yeah, there's not too many. Can't think of too many shaping hubs in Victoria other than Torquay. Yeah. So, and I really, I don't know, I'm really passionate about it. Uh, I really take lots of pleasure from it, and uh, it's really frustrating as well. You know, it's not all. No, always, always easy. It's Shun, actually it's, sunshine and lollipops. No, no it's really hard work waves. too. You know. Um, Plenty of cold winters in there. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of it felt right in a way. Yeah. And. Um, I don't know, I think you kind of have to, I don't know, you have to kind of believe in what you're doing in a way. So, yeah, the first one, like, especially in the surfboard industry, once again, I haven't been in for that long, but it's kind of a, and totally understandably why it's a very tricky industry to get into. Yeah. So, you, there's no real training from it, for it. So, it's not, you can go to school and they, you know, yeah. you pay and they teach you. Is so, you're shaping apprenticeships? No. How did you, how did you learn how to shape boards? Um, I kind of, um, I just went for it. I just um, I went around town and asking some of the shapers if they needed anybody cleaning the factory or whatever. Um, but yeah, I didn't have much luck with that. There were a couple of shapers that, like actually one shaper that allowed me to watch him shaping a board. So that's as far as I close to get direct exposure to the whole process. So you literally knocked on the door, some of the shapers. Yeah, I was okay. like, do you need like do you need to clean your floors? Yeah. <laughs> like just to be get your part coffee. of it. Yeah. yeah. Is that pretty intimidating, or you've yeah, yeah, I was yeah, pretty terrified. I felt pretty stupid about doing that as well. <laughs> in, uh, hind- in hindsight, felt yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like I just can't imagine if somebody comes and tells <laughs> <laughs> I me mean, now. Like yeah, I don't know. You have a backpack on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, I kind of I just went for it. Uh, Who was that shaper that took you in? Uh, I was Corey Grant. Oh, Corey Grant. Yeah. So I it? didn't teach me anything. I just. I just asked him if I could watch him shaping a board. So I just sat outside shaping bay in silence and watching shaping, really. So yeah. pretending to sweep the floor. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really appreciated that, actually. That yeah. Was, yeah. Corey's a massive shaper here on the surf coast. Yeah, I was so stoked, yeah. So, yeah, I'm still really grateful for that. So um, was that just like one day or... One yeah, yeah, one day. Yeah, one just one hour of... Uh, and then you just... And uh, then you learnt to... Well, I kind of... It took me like, I don't know, 100 boards. Yeah. yeah, like I got a shed full of shit boards at home, you know, <laughs> so they're like I don't even want to, you know, I just look at them to remind myself what not to do. But you know, the gla- it's just been a pretty painful process in terms of like learning how to glass and um, yeah, so there's no real shortcuts. That's but, like the process for any artist or creative, I think. A lot of yeah. photographers don't want to look at their early archives, so yeah, yeah, I'm sure, sure it's the same for a lot of painters and artists. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I did get some a little bit of um, informal training when I, I moved to Perth for my studies. So I volunteered uh, to work in this guy's factory. So he was making surfboards and, um, you know, also, what's the name of the uh, dolphin uh, for the surf clubs? Um, uh, the, the sort of... Uh, surf skis, or surf skis yeah. yeah. So he yeah. was doing a bit of everything. Um, yeah, and it kind of... Help me out, like learning mostly how to send down boards, really, like doing feeder coats and sending. Uh, not yeah, much shaping at all. But, pretty um, intricate design, surf skates. Most of them had a carbon fiber, I think. Oh, uh, no, they made in, um, like he had this, yeah, this vacuum bagging technique. Uh, yeah. To, like, yeah, just kind of wrapping the board in carbon fiber and like in plastic. Like, I, I don't know exactly how he did it. I, it didn't allow me to watch 
the yeah. process because it was we are pretty secretive about it. Pretty um, much uh, intellectual property. Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, which I totally respect. So that's what I was saying. I really understand why shapers are not so willingly to share that knowledge as much, you know. So mm -hmm. because it takes so much effort to to get to that point, you know. Nobody. Yeah. The only way to get there is like through trial and error. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So grafting and grinding. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Unless you're really lucky to have somebody that you know. You get in somehow, you know, and you get through an apprenticeship with somebody. Yeah. Um, that kind of, you still have to go through your own mistakes, but that kind of saves you some big mistakes, you know, yeah. so you can save yourself some money and. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You still make mistakes now? Oh, ah, yeah. Yeah. Constantly. That's part of it. I think the main difference is not, not making mistakes. The big difference is between learn how to prevent the mistake or as soon as a mistake happens learn how to fix it straight away before yeah. it becomes a problem. Yeah. So that's a big, I think that's where experience comes into play. So you kind of can foresee what the, the problem might be. Yeah. And like stuff happens anyway. So as soon as it happens, you know how to fix it. Yeah. And if the, like, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the, like, you know, the board is not that good. So I don't do it. I don't sell it. Like it goes in the shed full of oh, really? so you, you know, Yeah. Like, yeah. So got you got it. some prototypes that have never seen the light of day. Uh, more than that. Um, yeah, yeah, that for sure. But even like custom boards, you know, sometimes say the, you know, the, the foam has a, a massive air bubble in it, you know, I cannot sell the board. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of, I try to keep it standard as high as I can. So yeah. yeah, I don't want to put out boards that I'm not. So you wouldn't but, even put it out there at a discount? Um, just to affect your brand maybe too for much. a friend yeah i don't yeah. know i kind of i put my name on the boards you know so i kind of yeah how many boards have you do you know how many boards you've made and sold uh i have hand shaped um about 350 boards wow like sh and shaped and glassed like so the whole thing so um yeah which is kind of yeah there's, there's lots actually lots of shapers of my generations in turkey that shape and glass whereas mm -hmm. like you know, traditionally in a big factory, there's like the shaper, the glasser, yep. filler coder, sender, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, as I said, I put my names on the board, so I kind of want to be involved in the process as much as I can. Okay. And what are we looking at in terms of like a, like an average price? I guess it's, you know, the old question, how long is a piece of string? But do you have like a sort of average price range just for people listening in that may want to purchase before Christmas? Um, you go from 750 to $1,400, yep. depending on, you know, Colors, uh, finish, stringers, size, pins, well, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... Do you make mails as well? Yeah, yeah. Big long boards, yeah, yeah. in addition to the short right boards. To, uh, so, pretty much all the range, short board right through to a long board. Yeah, I try to kind of focus on... So, uh, I kind of work on designs normally, so, like, on a particular design. So, um, I find, like, at the beginning when I started, you kind of... You don't really know that much really so i really found myself doing lots of different things so you jump from one board to the other with like really radical changes between the different models but that's really good because it kind of gives you a really good hint of what works and what doesn't and then slowly uh, converges in like more and more and more defined designs so yeah i kind of like in the time i've been able to insulate different boards that you know, do it, the kind of surfing that I had in mind for that board. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, and the, eventually, once I'm really happy with that, 
I give a name to the board, but that's just the idea behind it. So I work on custom boards anyway. So um, those models are all tweaked for customers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I kind of, um, yeah, I got, yeah, as I said, different models for different kind of surfing. And I, I don't know, I kind of, I'm really into the whole experience, you know, it's not just focus on one or the other. So yeah, it goes from mini Simmons, like fish or shoreboards or mid-length or yeah. well And I kind of been able to like get my own interpretation of the design. Yeah. And yeah. Do you get buyers from like people surfing at Kira, Snapper, places further north, or is it mostly here on the surf coast? Um, I've shipped some boards around Australia. Um, yeah, a couple of up in the Gold Coast, a couple of down in Margaret River, some in South Australia. Uh, but yeah, mostly it's local people. Uh, Melbourne, like down in Warrnambool. Uh, oh, Warrnambool. Ferry, yeah, so like kind of this old yep. stretch of coast. Yeah. Um, do you have a strategy if you're getting your, your word out there? Is it basically word of mouth for board shapers or do you actively do a bit of digital marketing and content and other stuff like your websites? I love the copy on your website actually. There's lots of little stories in there and you've got Thanks. a little story for each board too, which is really cool. So yeah. I, I get the feeling you've put a lot of effort into that. Yeah, um, I think at the beginning it's mostly word of, I mean, it's always kind of word of mouth, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the goal is for me at least is to build a really good reputation, the best reputation I can. Yeah. So that's why I kind of keep the standard as high as I can. Um, yeah. So I think if I don't know if, if you do good boards, I think the product speaks for itself. It's one of those things that you don't really need to push it that hard. Yeah. Like if you can make a good board and kind of present it like in a reasonable, reasonably good way. You don't really need to push it. You know, like the board speaks for itself. Yeah. So, um, how, how many do you need to make a week to make it worthwhile for you? Um, like about three to five boards a week. Three to five. Oh. Yeah. To make it good money, good cash flow. Yeah, to survive. Yeah, comfortable. We don't get rich with that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so it depends, you know, like if play longboard sometime, take a full day to sh just to shave, you know, it depends. It's, it's very, um, yeah, the whole how long it takes to shape a board is really individual. Yeah. For each board, you know, each board I shape is, is a different board, so. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say custom made, it's custom made. Yeah, so I never made the same board twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, really, so every board has got a little detail that might be different. To yeah, so board. like the process normally works, I, I still design the boards on the computer, so and that it's, I, I think gives the customer an even higher level of involvement in the process. So because we can sit down, we can design the board on the computer, and you can see how the board looks like. So if you want to change anything, you know, we, you can. So I can actually show you this and that. You know, obviously I, I am the one that, you know, I, I try to direct the board in one or the other way. That's like it's kind of my job too. Yeah. Based on my experience on all the feedback from all the board they made to kind of say, oh, yeah, I think this will work or this won't. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, at the end of the day, it's, you know, if the customer knows what kind of board they're going to get and they can be, see it first, you know, I, I think I work better, I know, I'm way more relaxed. I think there would be nothing worse than giving the board to somebody and they say, oh, that's not the board I had in mind, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that gives a bit more confidence to everybody to do Job. What's the program that you use for? Uh, there's several of them. Um, for the designing. For designing, yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's one which is called uh, Shape 3D. 
Shape 3D? There's a, it's, you have to pay for it. Uh, there's another one, it's called AQ, A-K-U. Uh, those are the two bigger, the biggest. I, I think there's several other ones, yep. uh, which I'm not really aware of, but I, I know there's uh, other programs. Yep. Uh, and that's yeah, specifically so, for bo shape, shaping boards? Yeah, yeah. So it's based on CAD. I so was going to say, you know, CAD programs. They're all CAD programs. Yeah. And you can just, you know, well, you can get really, like, you can get a free version of it, but you can do really, really basic yeah. designs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm still in shaping, like, most of the boards. So I'm slowly, slowly kind of um, getting more into it. Uh, I started to get some boards cut on the machine as well. Yeah. Which... I don't know. I know there's lots of. Um, um, it's pretty controversial, like the whole thing, like hand shape against machine shape. And I don't know. I had a really good conversation with Shama lately um, about the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it really takes anything away from it. Like if you do it in the right way. So if you yep. use machine shaping, shape shaping for like mass producing boards. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, that's kind of. That's not that cool. But, Completely different story. But if you use machine shaping to really fine tune boards for different people, you know? Yeah. And like make sure, like to increase the quality of the board. I don't know. I don't know. See, why not? That's a good segue into sustainability and the rest. So, like a board is mostly plastic, a bit of foam, a bit of um, fiberglass, and lots of petrochemicals and stuff. Do you have an eye on sustainability? And like it's a big, it's a big buzzword in surfing and other industries as well. Do you take that seriously or is it kind of hard to yeah, um, do a board that's, you know, organic, dare I say? <laughs> well, I think if you want to make an organic board, I think you have to make a wooden board, mm -hmm. I reckon. That's the only way. Yeah. Because even the sustainable, or what they call sustainable boards, you know, I mean, maybe they're a little bit better, but they're not definitely not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a, not an easy problem to solve because... You know, compared to lots of other industries, you know, where materials have changed a lot. Mm. You know, say, I don't know, think of, uh, I don't know, skis, snowboards, whatever. Like, I'm sure that the technology for a ski or for a snowboard in the 80s was different yeah. than a snowboard now, where a server's pretty much. You know, the, maybe materials got a little bit better, the raising got better, the foam got better, but really the process is still exactly the same. Yeah. So I don't think it's an easy problem to... Solve. To solve because otherwise people will find already solution, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I did experiment with different materials, so you can get blanks which are made of partially recycled foam. Yeah. Still, like it's that foam is still yeah. Is still you know it's polystyrene really. So still it, an oil refinery process. Yeah, and you yeah. can get resin which is you know made out of uh, like part of the carbon content of the resin. Yeah. comes from plants rather than from fossil fuel, from, yeah, pretty much fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's a little bit better, but I don't know, I'm really skeptical of selling that as a eco-friendly, sustainable board because I don't think they are. Yeah. So if you want to go down the sustainable path, I think, you know, wooden surboards. Yeah. That, they're probably, you know, like Polonia, it's like Polonia grows really fast, so it's mm. pretty sustainable tree to grow, you know, so I don't really... Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. You're still cutting down trees, aren't you, to make a board? So yeah, it exactly, is a tough yeah. question, tough yeah. problem to solve. Actually, but um, I think. Sorry, if I can say, yeah. I think the best way of, a bit, but yeah, it did really bother me a lot. Like, so, I think the best way to make it as sustainable as possible is to, like, 
take care of your board. Yeah. So I'm trying not to make too many boards. I just make the boards that you know, like I can make first and like. But even if I had the chance to make ten boards a week, I won't be that interested in that. Yeah. You know, I'd rather make like less boards, which are really good quality. quality. They will last you for as long as possible. Yeah. And are worth taking care of and repair rather than making something that lasts a year. You know? I think yeah. that's the best way you can make a surfboard sustainable in a way. Yeah, I was going to make that point. I got my surfboard fixed the other day. I had a few dings in it. I lost actually lost the rear roof rack on my car on that about two weeks ago. Really heavy winds. I took the rear roof rack off the car. And we got this board that we barely used and that was all fine. And then my board, favourite board, had about four dings in it. So I went and got it fixed with a local shaper here in Torquay. And he said, yeah, it's a similar thing. Like the best way to make surfing sustainable and surfboards sustainable is to make high quality boards and yeah. stop buying this shit from China and Taiwan and you know factories in Vietnam. So yeah. get behind your local shapers and get a high quality board that's going to last you a couple of years. Yeah, well, even, like even 20 years actually. Yeah. 20 years, yeah. Well, I know, I've seen, I've seen boards. I oh, yeah, just bought two boards from the shop next door from uh, my factory. They sell like surfboard memorabilia and stuff. Yep. And one is a Wayne Lynch and one is a Gash. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're beaten up, but I think they're like, I don't know, 20 years old. Totally surfable still, you know? Yeah. Whereas you see boards that come out for repair and the fiberglass brittles off, like the, the foam is pretty much yeah. non-existent. I don't know, pin plugs that fly out just like. Yeah. <laughs> They snap when you go over yeah. falls and all sorts of things. So, yeah. Basically, last one summer. Yeah, I've seen board snapped in half after the first surf. You know? Yeah. The board, like you look at the board, there's not even a filler cut on top. They just spray the board with, mm. you know, the stuff you put on cars. Yeah. Um, Pro surfers have probably got a lot to answer for there because they take a quiver on tour and you know they get sponsored and their shapers you know make a quiver of surfboards and they go through. I heard, I read uh, Mick Fanning's autobiography. I read that he went through something like a hundred boards in one year, so it's a bit of yeah. a that culture feeding through of you know a board is disposable when it shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But also like that, the one percent of the one percent, the one percent of the surfers on the planet. So, but yeah, that, yeah, but it's it's true. Right? They got lots of. I mean, I'm not involved in pro surfing at all, really. I'm not yeah. that interested in that. Um, I mean, I, I follow it and stuff, you know, but I'm not obsessed with. That kind of things but yeah definitely they, they yeah they do have lots of influence on yeah like the majority of surfers um so yeah that but i think they're, they're pretty good i reckon like of all the cultures i think i've seen like all the different sports i think surfing is a more yeah like i've never seen a surfer being an absolute dickhead you know yeah like, so wrecking the ocean drilling for oil and gas yeah, things like that exactly yeah so i think that's a yeah, there's a they really are good, good custodians for the ocean. Yeah, there's a really good understanding of what's important in the sport. Yeah. yeah. And as you say, yeah, it's a 1% of the 1% for the go through that amount of surf, surfboards. So, actually, I just wanted to touch on quickly before we start wrapping up. I know you have to get back to shaping. You probably don't want any more orders before Christmas. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll publish this in January. No, we're going to publish it today. So, just your family. So, has it been through Corona? Um. So... They were in the pretty much the epicenter of the first outbreak in March when it happened. So everybody freaked out, you know, because it was the first place outside China that got really heavily. Um, yeah. Italy was really, Italy was really, really bad, bad. Yeah. in the early days, back in March, April. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like being in Australia, it has been tough. Like knowing that there's nothing you can do really. Yeah. Like even if I go back, 
that put me in my room and <laughs> I cannot yeah. do that. <laughs> it would be much fun. Yeah. So, you know, there's not much to do about it. Like, so I think slowly, um, you know, the whole thing spread more and more and more and more and the focus kind of got, in a way, like, there's a saying in Italy, like, that translates in life in something like, uh, you know, if, if a problem is everybody's problem, is half a problem, you know? Yeah. So it's still a massive problem, you know? So, but I think things kind of, you know, people realize how to manage the thing better and better and better, you know? So the lockdown worked and blah, blah, blah. So things got better there as well. Uh, and now they're back in lockdown, like the second they're wave back is, in lockdown. Yeah, the second yeah. wave is like, I don't know, so much worse than the first one. All right. But you know, my mom got COVID, my oh, brother got COVID. COVID. Yeah. yeah, my brother did. I, yeah, lots of my family members got it. They got through? They got through, yeah. They just, my brother just, oh, he had it like two weeks ago, and now it's fine, so. Yeah, so a bit of, did they explain the symptoms? Like a bit of a flu, or was it pretty Yeah, uh, I don't know, like my, my mom had a bit of a sore throat, yeah. and she couldn't taste anything. My brother had a bit of a sore throat as well. Mm-hmm. My uncle got, um, yeah, he's been in bed for two weeks. Uh, so it's like, yeah, the f- symptoms range from, yeah, as they say, you know, from a mild cold to, to a pretty heavy flu, you know. Yeah. I don't know, I know a couple of people went to hospital and, yeah, and also, I oh, know some people that passed. Really? Me. Yeah. Yeah. Even in my small town, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, I think it's a reality that, like, it's, yeah. I think Australia has been affected mostly as a lockdown, you know, mm-hmm. so the COVID thing itself was kind of, not that, you know, I don't know anybody in Turkey or Geelong or no. one of my close friends, you know, where that got infected, you know. So I think we got affected more as a lifestyle, whereas yeah. back home is, it's a thing, you know. It's actual impact on your health as yeah. opposed to here, it's affected tourism and the economy and yeah. probably hasn't affected your business too much because people can still go for surf, so. Yeah, oh, if anything, I think I was reading an article, yes, the surfboard industry has been booming since COVID started. Really? Uh, because, yeah, lots of people, you know, with the fact you cannot, you don't have to be in an office, you can work from home, you know. Yeah. Which, that's exactly what I would have done as well. So, yeah. Um, or if you had a choice between working from home on the laptop and yeah, getting out there for surf, you'd be out there in the surf in yeah. no time flat, would you? Yeah, for sure. Until the Zoom meeting comes along. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope your family get through and I hope they're safe over Christmas, New Year period. So... That's interesting yeah, to hear. Yeah, because I, I personally don't know. I, Jess's friends got COVID, but they're in Indonesia, in Bali. No, they were in the Italy as well. Oh, they're in Italy, if it's when they contracted it. Yeah, and then they, yeah. So they got it um, in the Mediterranean. They were working on the yachts. And then to move to America for the next job, they had to get the test to leave. Um, to leave. And then, yeah, they found out that they had COVID, but they said the same thing, that the symptoms weren't very bad, that they just had a little cold sort of thing, so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to get a different take on it and hear about the symptoms, because, you know, there's a lot of fear-mongering and whatnot in the media, and, you know, it's, yeah. well, you hear about the exhibition centre being turned into a giant morgue, and none of that stuff eventuated. Yeah, I think... it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think you'd really still need to take it seriously. Like, mm. I think, you know, like... My uncle got to the like bar during the first um, COVID um, outbreak, and um, he just went to the bar like normally, mm. like he would have always done, and 
that's the one that got really sick and two of his mates that were not with him died. Twelve? So, no, two of his mates. Yeah. Um, actually, no, three. Wow. The two, the two of his friends and the owner of the bar. So, you know, it's a... Yeah. It's serious, you know? It's, it can be serious. It yeah. can be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, it's, I hope you can get back to Italy. Yeah, I don't know. I think sometime, maybe 2022, maybe end of next year. Fingers crossed. Well, there's yeah. a vaccine on the way, so mm. it's got 95%. Yeah, I think I'd be surprised if I can go back before 2022. I reckon 2020. if it's next Christmas, I'll be stoked. But yeah, uh, well, I can go back now if I want to. I'll be able to come back <laughs> to Australia. You don't want to go back? No. Well, I can go back. They yeah. will let me in, but they won't. You can't come back. back. I can't, oh, right. I can't come so, back to Australia. Yeah. So best to stay here yeah I do have some friends that left they lived in Turkey and they went back to uh, one is from Austria so she went uh, from Germany so she went back there yeah and I think now she would be keen to come back but she's stuck there so I don't know and your partner is she Australian yeah she grew up in Port Ferry Port Ferry yeah yeah so surfing central down there yeah it's really good waves yeah 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 it's so good down there it's we were down Port Ferry is magic. It's like a little English village. I know. We shouldn't talk it up too much. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's rubbish. (laughs) No, it's a really good spot, along with um, Portland and a few other places. Yeah. Past Cape Otway. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is in the... Well, I don't want to give anything away, but I've been thinking for quite a few years now to eventually move down there. Yep. So... To where? Port Ferry? Yeah, to the south coast. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's... Yeah, it's just so nice. <laughs> and how did you guys meet? Oh, we met at the okay, pub. Really? <laughs> yeah. Tall Care Hotel? Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, you been together how long? Six years in April. Oh, oh so, quite so, a while. Yeah, no, it's been six years in April, yeah. yeah. Six years. So, yeah, it's been quite a while, yeah. Engaged? No, no, no. Not engaged? No, but I've got a dog and a cat, so... <laughs> it's good as family. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, Jess has got a couple of questions about inspiration and a few other things to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, um, do you have anyone that inspires you? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's different... Inspiration. Inspiration, like... I, I don't know. I think... When you start running your business, there's lots of things that you don't really foresee, you know, that, you know, it's not just about making boards, it's about dealing with customers, about running the business and that there's lot, lots of more things that come up. So in that sense, I think my dad has been a massive inspiration for me. Like he runs his own business as well. Totally different thing, you know, like he makes, uh, he's a gla- glazier, so he makes all right. like all sort of glass. Windows, floor, like a, panels. Yeah, windows, floors, ceiling, yeah. stairs, shower, whatever, you yeah. know. Um, so yeah, kind of the, in a way, like the dedication. He's a shaper. Yeah. So, <laughs> you've got that common alley. Yeah. 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 So yeah, definitely not, he didn't teach me much about surfboards, but he taught me how to, you know, work with, um, yeah, materials. integrity, you yeah. know, so how to, you know, and like, yeah, the, the way you take on your job, you know, in, like that, that since we were kids, even at school, you know, you just, yeah. you do something, you just do the best way you possibly can do it. So in a way, like as a code of conduct, that he has been definitely a massive inspiration. Yeah, as far as server designs itself goes, I don't know, I think you draw from lots of different people. So yeah, I really appreciate, for instance, 
I got to know Shama a little bit lately, like uh, being glassing for different people as well, you know, so being glassing for some boats from Maurice Cole, some from Shama, some for Corey in Ocean Grove, some from other local crew. So you kind of get lots of input from lots of people and you kind of pick and choose, you know, what kind of res re resonates more yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and in general, I think, yeah, the biggest inspiration, I, I know it sounds a bit lame, but it's the ocean, you know, like mm -hmm. the biggest inspiration of, at the end of the day is the surfing itself. Yeah. So it, it really, yeah, that, that's always where you get drawn to, you know, that's yeah. thinking of how the board goes on the way. So That is true, actually. No one's actually mentioned that. Because the ocean, at the end of the day, has inspired an entire industry of surfboard shapers and all the people that supply yeah. the surfing industry. So that is true. And then there's all the photographers and artists and creatives that are inspired by the ocean. So yeah. that's the ultimate inspiration, isn't it? Yeah. That big blue yeah. patch out there. So yeah, it's a good there point. Go. That's great. Um, what's your best piece of advice for budding shapers or entrepreneurs out there? Do you have um, some words of wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I can speak for experience. That's the only qualification yeah. I have to yeah. give any advice. But yeah, I think the best thing I can suggest is to, I don't know, kind of have a vision in your head, like generate some sort of vision in your head and believe in that and try to go towards that direction. Um, yeah, I think if you, I don't know, you have to really commit to it. Uh, it's, you know, for me it has been a, you know, not just a financial commitment, but also like a, you know, psychological commitment in a way, like you have to really you're always on, so you really need to stick to that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the best advice I can give is like, yeah, first of all, believe that what you're doing is valuable, and like, and yeah, second of all, just yeah, go for it. <laughs> I, know, I know that's what everybody says, but I think it's it's, yeah. it's true. You know, be smart about it. Yeah. Like think really through every single detail, and um, I don't know, it's kind of unrelated, but. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm diverging from topic here. No, go for it. But I've been listening to, like, lately, like, wearing shape, you know, like, you put a earphones on and just listen to stuff, and I've been listening to podcasts yep. yeah. lately. Um, and, um, yeah, recently I wrote, got really into history podcasts, yep. philosophy podcasts, and I just listened to the whole history of Rome. And the thing that really struck me about the whole thing is, like, how organized the Romans were. Yep. So... Like they got so good and do what they did because they had like the main difference between them and anybody else was like they had their shit together so much you know like yeah. everything even the army was so organized like between food accommodation for the soldiers everything you know was like planned to the minimum detail you know so i think if you can get that vision in your head that's makes what you want to achieve way way more realistic because you've got a picture of it yeah um, very so, true. So yeah, like focusing on the details, I think is what makes a big difference. Yeah, they had the systems and everything else in place, didn't they? Yeah. So the whole communication system, the whole thing was really planned to the minimum, like from the armors of the soldiers to everything was, you know. Yeah, we um, owe a lot to the the Romans, don't we? So yeah, they invaded the. Oh, they conquered pretty much everywhere. Yeah, if you look at the map of when they were. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Like, and you hear the stories, and it seems it feels like, you know, listening to a Game of Thrones kind of. <laughs> but it's actually it happened. Like, it's pretty yeah. pretty impressive. Absolutely, it what's, did. What's the podcast called? It's called The History of Rome. History of Rome. Mike Duncan. He's a historian. I think he's from 
America. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I personally love my history as well. I love reading about the Roman Empire and all the the Roman emperors. So you were yeah. talking about it yesterday. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my favorite quote is "This too shall pass," and I'm pretty sure Marcus Aurelius said that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Is the last considered the last of the great Roman emperors? So before they got really nasty. Yeah. <laughs> so. But Hawking Phoenix came in along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> Um, Luca, it's been really good to chat. Yeah. Where can we go to follow you and your story? Um, I got a, obviously like an Instagram page, Debo Surboards, and um, yeah, we got a website with all the links on the so DeboSurboards.com, uh, or you can just send me an email or call me or come in the shop. We are in two slash ten Baines Crescent. Yep. That's just so next to the Mitre 10 for those right. on the surf coast to know where that is. Yeah, yeah, just there's the outlets, Mitre 10, and then there's us. So yep. yeah, just come in for a chat whenever. That people can come in and have a chat, explain what they want, and. Yeah, so on. normally um, I'm sitting there on Saturday morning or morning. Just uh, during the week it can be tricky because if I'm glassing, I cannot leave, stop working. Yeah. The raising has a curing time again. So yeah, sometimes I actually won't be able to pop down for a chat. but. Yeah. So yeah, worst case, even during the week is fine, maybe it's just let me know you're coming in so I can just get myself organised. Yeah, cool. Yeah, really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day today. I know you're really busy, so got a lot of boards to shape before Christmas, I imagine, too. So I really appreciate your time and being so open about your story. Yeah, yeah thanks. It was, yeah, it was really fun to chat with you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. So. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And where can we go, just? Uh, so we have the website, you can follow uh, Luca's story here on surfcoastcreatives.com or we have the Facebook and Instagram pages as well, so just check them out and um, yeah. Yeah, the Instagram, Facebook, the website, it's all there, all lots there. of resources. Uh, check out some of the links to Canva. Canva's got a couple of specials on design and all the rest at the moment, so yep. we'll put in a link for that as well if you're into design. Um, I dare say you've probably tuned in today if you're into design and surfing and all the rest. So uh, I think that's about it, Jess. So, yeah, Luca, once again, thanks for your time and all the best for the rest of 2020 and 2021. Hope you can get back to Italy someday soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me.